Hey there, this is Sharky James, host of the Petapixel Photography Podcast, and this is TWIP. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the CashFly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with CashFly. And now, pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and use the promo code TWIP. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by FreshBooks. They're the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. You can try FreshBooks for free. Just go to freshbooks.com slash TWIP and enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section when signing up. The Out of Chicago Photography Conference is taking its show on the road for the Out of New York Photography Conference. It's going to be held October 14th through 15th. Join myself, Rick Salmon, Brian Peterson, Lindsay Adler, Valerie Jardin, Steve Simon, R.C. Concepcion, and the rest of the lineup for an amazing hands-on photography experience in the heart of beautiful New York City. Use the code TWIP100 for $100 off the $349 registration fee before for April. Just go to outofnewyork.com for more information and see you in New York City. This is TWIP, episode 461, a 360 degree look at 360 degree video. GoPro focuses in on 360 degree video and away from being solely a hardware manufacturer to being a web-based platform for extreme sports in other genres. Also, Nikon's Key Mission 360 action camera was revealed in January, and Nikon ambassador Corey Rich puts the camera through its paces. Is this new camera the A7 of 360? Also, scientists at the University of Washington have teamed up with Microsoft to develop a method for storing 10 terabytes of data in a tiny smear of DNA. It's Monday, April 18th, 2016, and this is Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me to discuss a few of the more interesting stories affecting photographers this week, I'm joined by Mr. Martin Bailey from Martin Bailey Photography. Hey Martin, how's it going? I'm doing great, thanks. How's things with you? Things are going great. You know, I'm really excited to have another voice on the show. Uh, It is Mr. Mike a.k.a. Sharky James from the Petapixel Photography Podcast. Mr. Sharky, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much, Frederick. It's a dream come true. Where do Uh, I go from here? I feel like you've already been on the show. You've actually been... Petapixel has been part of TWIP unknowingly for several years because we're always... Like saying, courtesy our friends at Petapixel, this story, and then we talk about the story. You guys break the news and then it's kind of like you're the bird. And you chew up the food and then regurgitate it into our mouths. <laughs> Listen, I'm the new guy at Petapixel. I've only been over there since September. But I tell you, Michael Zhang has created something amazing. He's a young guy, fairly young guy, and 6 million readers a month. Love it. Visit Petapixel. That just blows my mind. I love it. I love it. It's great. I mean, I love what's happening in, in the photography space in terms of like all these, the podcasts, the blogs, the educational resources, like St- Susan Stripling and the wedding school thing launched and... Creative, all these different things are out there, and it's it's like this amorphous blob that keeps changing. You know, Linda being absorbed and Kelby changing, and it's just like all this stuff. It's never boring, is it? It's never boring. Never. All right. Only to get more exciting. It's gonna get more exciting. We're gonna have ISO six million someday. I can feel it. It's coming from Nikon. Please. And it's gonna look like a digital snowstorm too. (laughs) 
<laughs> You'll be able to see into other dimensions and into the future. The right? great blizzard of Nikon D6. Uh, don't get me started on the Nikon stuff. You know, the uh, the slow-moving machine that is Nikon. Although, I have something good to say about Nikon in this show. And I'm, I've got money set aside to give to Nikon. And I'm going to explain why <laughs> later <laughs> later in the show. How they about that out, for a teaser? That's they a come teaser. out with another stainless steel hot shoe cover. They had that leather one. I don't no, know. No, it's gold-plated. This one's gold nice. Gold's a great conductor. Like, right, let's let's jump into the stories of the week. We got a lot to talk about. First up is GoPro. So GoPro did a couple things this week. Uh, first of all, as we record this, I think NAB 2016 kicked off today. It's Monday, the 18th of April, and they announced a new 360 degree video rig um, that is. Let's see, it's a six camera. They call it the Omni Rig. They announced the GoPro VR channel and a live streaming or a live VR streaming platform called Live VR. All that was announced today. So this is interesting from a couple of standpoints. We talked a couple of weeks ago about GoPro uh, in the terms in terms of being kind of beleaguered and what's next. And I think what I said was, once you buy a GoPro, you know, and they come out with the next one. You probably haven't got your money's worth out of the first one. Why do you want to upgrade? It's not like a DSLR or a mirrorless camera where you're like, oh, now it does this. I need to get it. An action camera is an action camera. So, Mr. James, Sharky James, I'm going to throw it to you first. GoPro, are they grasping for straws or is this a viable business direction for the company? Listen. The GoPro stock has dove more than Greg Luganus, right? It's been horrible. <laughs> Don't hold back your feelings on the show, man. I mean, come on. Hey, I know you're shy, but just let it go. Come facts on. Facts. They can't sue me for the truth. It was, what, 88 at one point, and now it's down around 13, 13 and a half or so. Yahoo should buy them. <laughs> Listen, we all have GoPros, right? And that's yeah. part of the problem. Everyone's got a GoPro. Yeah. And so, you know, they've got these new products coming out, this Omni right? Which you need six GoPros for. Who's got six GoPros? Who's going to buy six GoPros? I mean, if that's, if that's part of the business model that you need, here's what we can do to make money. We need to get everyone to buy five more GoPros and then this like $1,500 or whatever it is device. You're, you're, I'm right in line with you. $5,000. No, it's $5,000 for the unit, the mount plus the cameras. The cameras alone roughly come out to about three grand. Um, and they're taking pre-orders. So it's, and you need six Hero 4 cameras to fit into this rig. There's so much that I want to say, because I'm I'm excited about this video 360 space. I got one of those Theta S's, and I've been using that thing all over the place. I love it. Although cool. the quality, the quality is not there yet for professional use, but it gives you a taste of, of what's to come. Martin, when you saw this, is this... Is this something that, that that made you say, okay, I need to carve out some budget to get this thing. Five grand is a drop in the bucket. What do you think? <laughs> you know, I, I would probably just go, if I wanted to do something like this, I would probably go for something like the, the theta, the, the S that you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. I almost pulled the trigger on that when we, we spoke, I think it was end of last year or, or January, when I did run out and buy the, um, the, the new handheld, I forget the name of it, the... Uh, the thing from the Phantom Osmo? people. Oh, the, the DJI Osmo. Osmo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which they so just updated, by I, the way. I ran out the next day. After seeing you do the, the, the gimbal thing here, I ran out the next day and dropped almost $1,000 on that baby. But yeah. the um, I, I looked at the, the Theta, and for me, I mean, you have one. You could probably comment on this. But mm -hmm. for me, the the it's cool. It's, it's nice and gimmicky. Um, yeah. 
but you need special software or a special viewer to be able to view the the content. Um, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Well, if I, I had the guy in the in the store check this, and maybe he was wrong, but they he said that there was no way. Say I I go out, I'm sitting there, and I take a complete 360 degree um, video of something that that we're doing, and then I want to just take out like a, make a frame within the video. Like, for example, I'm look, looking through a normal camera, but then I can actually, after the event, go through and and get the, um, just cut out a, a normal sort of a 1080p or whatever video and timeline it, you know, go through and actually tell it which parts of the video I want to do. And I can't export that as, no. a, as a regular video. No. And for me, I mean, that would be what I would want to do. I would like to capture it all and then go through and, and sort of chore choreograph a, a a path through that video. You you know it's funny you say that, and I that's a wish of mine too. But when you read through the spec on YouTube, um, or, or the the YouTube player spec, because there's a special player that's instantiated when it when it detects the metadata for a 360 degree video. Um, in that spec, there's it's already designed, the code is in there for you to do what you're talking about so that you can have it be pointing in a certain direction and meander through the scene, you know, ad nauseum. The problem is there, the software to do it isn't here yet. That's, so we're, that's what I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah, it's leading edge. But, you know, the, the videos itself, the, it's, you know, it's, it's a process to go from the theta to the finished video on YouTube, and there's a couple of little you know, intelligence hurdles that <laughs> you have to do in order to get in there. But once you figure out the process and you do it once and you figure out where the pitfalls are, you can do it over and over again. Um, I don't know. Sharky, what about you, man? What do you, what do you think about this stuff? I mean, are they banking on this saving the company? Or I don't know if they're even in the position where they're that close to being out of business or anything. But yeah. what I want to know is where's that karma drone? And when it comes, I mean, we, we right remember oh, you're like, right. like oh yeah they remember you know the the Karma drone they announced a while ago and when it comes out is it going to have the features that they talked about a while ago which are now going to be you know old features it's like last yeah. year's model or what are I they going to do are they going to I'm thinking maybe that was abandoned maybe that was just you know hey we should do this and the CEO you know saying hey this is where we're going because drones are hot right now and maybe this. We can grab some mind share and make people think we're relevant by saying that we're moving into drones. Not and then what was it? Two weeks ago, DJI issued a press release explaining all of their patents and who they were litigating against. You know, it, you know, it's like they built this wall. Uh, you know, no political inferences <laughs> intended, but they built this wall that if you want to move into the drone space, they kind of hold the keys to it right now. So I well, don't know. I mean, look what Lytro has done. You know, they, they did a hard pivot. I mean, they pivoted right. completely the opposite direction. And that I think was the right thing to do. I think they're really on track because those Lytro cameras were horrible. Yeah. No one wanted them, right. you know, cool technology, but just come on. It just wasn't, wasn't ready for. I, I want to think, I want to think the Lytro cameras, I think they, I want to say in the company's defense that maybe they just duped all of us and they never intended on releasing a consumer product that was to raise money and prove that the light field technology was viable and have people that purchased that not so cool camera fund the company so they could stay in operation while they were building this gazillion dollar targeted at Hollywood you know, operation. So 
that's I mean, in retrospect, that's what it seems like they were doing in when you're in the eye of the storm. It seemed a little weird that, you know, you want us to use this camera. If that's true, Frederick, that is evil genius right there. It's brilliant. Evil yeah. genius. I say the glass is half full. Martin, yeah. <laughs> what do you what do you think? You know, I know we're talking about GoPro, but Lytro, we talked about them last week on the show mm. is think that that move was strategic to move into the ultra out of reach of of amateurs and into the reach of people with million dollar budgets was that planned or was it accidental and serendipitous i i I would say it was probably the case of steering a very big ship or a relatively small ship um but a ship all the same and realizing that people aren't aren't quite jumping into the technology that they were hoping to sell millions of I mean, I don't know how many they've sold, but I, I, I really, again, I like the idea of the light field te- technology. I've looked at the cameras, but then when you, with their, even with their latest, um, like, consumer version camera, the the image quality really just isn't there for someone that wants to, to shoot a a quality, something that you could actually print or or, or you could really consider, uh, you know, dare I say, fine art. It's just not going to happen with that camera. There's not they don't have the resolution. So, what they're doing is is for me. I mean, it, it seems like a natural extension, but but only when you consider that they were standing on the bow of a ship, thinking, okay, um, there's an iceberg coming. Do we do we do we get out of the way or do we just let hit it and sink? Um, I think that they've they've done a bit of ship steering, which is good, know you know, good on them. Listen, they were on the ship and they look back and they're like, this is some ship. I knew you were going to say that. You couldn't let it go, could you? <laughs> had, had to. I thought you were going to say we're in deep ship at this point. <laughs> I was going to, you know, like the old Kmart commercial. I, I ship, what did they say? I ship my pants. Uh, I don't ship. remember that. I do not remember that. <laughs> oh, you're going to have to, everyone's going to YouTube right, well, after this show. Uh, Check that out. Hey, keep it clean. I want to keep my clean tag for this episode, please. <laughs> you get banned from all of India and other countries if you uh, have just one episode that's not clean. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, all right, guys. So, so GoPro. I think, I you know, if if you if you do the comparison between Lytro and GoPro, if in fact Lytro's move was not planned, then it's a brilliant management move to say, okay, let's pivot. Like Sharky's saying, let's pivot in that direction and go after this market because clearly this one's not working. Bravo to them. Is GoPro's pivot into VR? Is that the next thing? Because that's putting. You know, first of all, Lytro has intellectual property around the light field technology, which is pretty cool. It's pretty awesome, especially when you apply it to video. Mm. VR is open and anybody can do it. And, you know, and they're coming in kind of late to the game. Do you think it's going to save the company? Just look, they're late to the game on the drone thing, if we ever see that. Right. And they're want, I think they're wanting people to use their existing devices. Like I said, everyone's got a GoPro that's going to want one. You've already got one. The next one out isn't that much better. So they're yeah. thinking of new ways for you to use their product, which is smart, but not if you have to spend seven grand, five grand or whatever for it. That's, so they're obviously going for a whole different customer. And can they scale that to the point where they can make a profit? Yeah. And make a good chunk of change. I think part of part of the I, I would have hated to see be in the company and saw the whiteboard. What was it a couple of years ago when DJI said, "You know what? We're going to make our own cameras. <laughs> We're going to make our own cameras and control the whole thing instead of making cameras that's going to they're going to hold the GoPros." They said, "Oh, ship." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. 
I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm rooting for GoPro. I want to see them survive because the more the merrier in the space. Because if, if GoPro goes away, who's going to take this place? You know, Sony, Sony has the action cam, right? So that's kind of their answer to GoPro. But there's a huge ecosystem out there right now for that use GoPro cameras, mounts, and all sorts of things out there that are specifically designed for the GoPro Hero Series cameras what's going to happen? Like, if is this an opportunity for another company to jump in and say, hey, we're making GoPros and they're so much cheaper and they fit everything that you've bought for the Hero 4 already? Have at it. I don't know. Martin, what, what do you think? What's, what's, what's the move? Again, armchair quarterback, you're the CEO of GoPro. What do you do? What's your move right now? Is it, is it VR or is it something else? You know, I'm, it's really difficult to say. And I, I, I would... I look at the TV, I look at the the various videos around the world, and there's a lot of people creating quite compelling content with the GoPro. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yes, everyone has them. I've got two in, in the room next to me. They're sitting in a box, and I opened one recently, and there was, like, all rust and gunk coming out of the hinge because I, I hadn't opened it long for that long. Um, <laughs> I think maybe... Maybe maybe the last time I used it, it was dunked in a pool of monkey poo at the snow monkeys. Um, but actually, no, it was water. You and those visuals, man. You kill me. Um, and they but, also, you can see, Sharky, Martin is the only person that comes on Twip that could say monkey poo and have it sound elegant. I can't even, listen, I, I think I'm a fairly funny guy. I can't even think of how to insert monkey poo into any conversation other than referencing did. what you, you just, just said. You just did. You just did. So. <laughs> so, so there's, the thing is, is that a lot of people own them. There's, I would say there's only a very small fraction of people that are making really compelling video with the GoPro. Pros. I think everyone else has one because they're cool and they make maybe a few things that, that work well. Um, and I, I would imagine that the same thing's going to happen with this VR stuff. There, there will be people. VR's going to be big and in some ways. I mean, we talked on a show, I think the one, the one that I hosted while you were away, Frederick, we, we talked about um, VR and how it can be a compelling educational or you know, give people an experience of being in a place um, to help relay a strong message, right. I, I think that VR is going to be big in a number of ways, and but I, and I think that you know GoPro, if they've got something here, if you're producing something, you've you've got a budget and you're producing something that needs some really good quality stuff. If the quality's there, then you know and color the the company K O L O R, the company that that they um, bought or tied up with, they make some pretty mean software for stitching stuff together. So. Yeah. If the quality's there, I think that it could be one of these technologies that, that does help to bring them around. But I, then I, do, I can't see them putting one in, you know, where, where everyone's got a GoPro now. I don't think everyone's going to have a GoPro VR at $5,000. But when you look at it on the scheme of things, $5,000 or so, or probably ten, twenty thousand to get three or four of these systems and use them in various places. P- people are, there are going to be companies that buy it. Um, just not in the numbers that they're buying the the regular GoPros at this point. At this point, so it's going to be a much smaller company, which which leads me to think that GoPro is becoming a tasty Scooby snack for some larger company to Apple. acquire. Apple, you think? Or really? Here's what I don't. Maybe I don't know. I mean, they have enough. I, would, I don't know right? who would who would it be. But uh, maybe Nikon or somebody to remain relevant. I don't. Here's know. what I don't understand. Okay, the VR technology is cool. We're all around the same age, so I don't. You know, I don't want to be like get off my lawn, kids, kind of thing. But you know, everyone's got cell phones with them, right? 
how many of these VR headsets or whatever, as cool as they are, are you gonna sell? You know, teens aren't gonna be bringing their phone and their VR headset. So this is something you're gonna be using at home, right? So this is gonna be like a video game kind of thing or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think VR, we've been hearing it for since the early days of the internet, right? Mm -hmm. Vermal, VR, ML. It, it just, it never really took off. Never. Do people yeah. want to be immersed VR, in VR, VRML, all that stuff, right? It, it's, it's, you know, people, are, kids are in, my kids are in their, in their phones. I say in their phones because it's like there's like a mind meld right there, right? Where they're like in the phone using in Instagram and they're using mm -hmm. Snapchat all day. Are they going to have these headsets on and be like detached from life like all day long? I just, yeah. it's going to be something like, it's like an Instax camera. The most, yeah. you know, the number one thing selling on Amazon this holiday season, you take some pictures, they're expensive, the film's expensive, you put it away till the next occasion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Or, it, or it finds a niche audience like, um, you know, I don't know, like disabled people, you know, that, that can't move around, they can put on these, these, like Martin was saying, you can put on these, these headsets and then get to places that you wouldn't ordinarily be been able to get to, or aircraft i would love to have one of these, these things on an aircraft in first class not that i fly first class but imagine being able to sit there put your headset on and just completely zone out and be in a different environment while you're making your way to visit martin in tokyo or something you know? look it's, it's just like with apps people are going to make really cool things for these that we haven't even thought about yet mm -hmm. mm. that, and that's if we exactly thought about it we wouldn't be here right now we'd be <laughs> counting our millions right <laughs> that's exactly what i what i was hinting at though and that's what we were talking about on that earlier show is that i i totally agree sharky people th those headsets you know they they're a gimmick and i don't think the people are going to you know microsoft or whoever there's a number of people that are bringing them to market i think it's like 3d tv i mean we've been trying 3d movies since the 60s and it's mm -hmm. it's never really taken off I bought a new TV last year. I was looking for ones that didn't have 3D. I don't, I don't need it. I don't want it. Yeah. But there, there are situations when I think that it can be used. And, and I think education and t taking people into an environment, like Frederick just said, someone that maybe can't get around, give them the opportunity to still experience what it feels like to climb Mount Fuji or whatever. You know, it's, it's that sort of thing that I think it's got applications for. Um, and that's why I'm thinking that it's going to be the bigger companies. It's not going to be your hobbyist that's making those sort of, It could be. You know, GoPros gets into the hands of lots of people, the cheap one GoPro on your chest and stuff like that. Right. So, right. so I think it, it's there, but I think it's going to be used for very specific reasons and not necessarily to, to put a headset on every person on the planet and make them all live somewhere else. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, so, like Google Glass, right? That was, right. That was, yeah, well, that was I mean, a problem. Everyone's going to be riding a Segway wearing Google Glass and we're all going to be disconnected and seeing, you know, like you know, augmented reality stats above everyone's mm. head as we ride through the city, right? So, so. Where, where does that leave GoPro? Are they going to be the ones to do it? Or is someone else going to be integrating their cameras into a third-party solution? Who knows? Uh, who knows? Who knows? But I, I want to draw a line. Let's draw a line in the sand here. So VR, we're throwing around the term VR, and this bugs me because virtual reality versus 360 degree video they're two mm. separate things it's yeah, not vr true. when you're in an immersive 360 because it's it's linear video is it's you're just watching a, you're inside a bubble the video is being projected in on the walls of the bubble of which you're inside of that you can look around vr is an immersive interaction interactive environment like a holodeck or <laughs> or second life well, or something like that right? and then there's augmented reality on top right. of all that yeah 
Yeah. So yeah. So VR. So I don't know. I think GoPro may have, let's say, misbranded GoPro VR, their GoPro VR channel, because it's not virtual reality. It's 360 degree video mm. is what they're selling. Mm. That so. guy just got fired right now because <laughs> <Yeah>. of you. <laughs> Sorry, guy. The guy that named it GoPro <laughs> VR gone. Exactly. It's so sad. I mean, job, I, it, that, that bur- it just burns me. I was like, it's not VR because it confuses me. I'm like, oh. A new VR thing? Oh, it's going to be rendering 3D and I can walk through the scene and pick up things virtually? No. Nope. It's not that. It's video. It's video that's in 360. So, I don't know. So, here, here's the uh, the other piece of the story. So, and I'm reading this from our show notes. So, after GoPro announced disappointing financial results for the December quarter, founder and CEO Nick Woodman in February discussed how the company wants to shift from being a sole hardware company or a hardware manufacturer to being a web-based platform for extreme sports and other games. Now, where is the market in that? I'm like, how do you, how do you go from selling these expensive hardware tools to being a platform? And if you build, if you build the most gorgeous 360-degree video, not VR, platform on the planet, it's a warehouse. It's the Google of VR or 360-degree video. Who's the audience for that? Like, Sharky, you just said, like, it's a niche of people that will want to buy these these massive headsets to put on and immerse themselves, especially in early 2016 or mid-2016. Who's going to, like, how do you stay alive with that? And what's the business model? Sharky, what do you think? I, I think your, your, uh, your scenario of being on the ship of, let's say, the Titanic and an iceberg coming at, you know, in the distance uh-huh. could very well be true. I mean, it sounds ha- like investor Jedi mind trick to me. <laughs> so that's what it sounds like. There's a lot of weird stuff going These on. These aren't the numbers you're looking for, investors. <laughs> karma drone? What karma drone? Exactly. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I want, like I said, I want them to succeed, but I'm like, as a consumer, and again, armchair quarterback, I don't know all the dy- dynamics and market forces going on here, but from my perch, it just seems a little, you know. Hey, I don't wh- see where the business is here. Right. Where right. are they going to make the money? I don't, so, know. I, don't I don't know. I don't know. But I do. I am bullish on the on the whole 360 degree video space, though. I think that's that's awesome. And I think the Theta S, which I own one of, although the quality of it isn't up to par for folks like you know advanced amateurs and pros like us, I think it is a good way to learn the technology mm-hmm. and understand what the capabilities are for a relatively low price, considering the price of some of these cameras that are these 360 pro level 360 degree cameras that are out there. Like Alex Lindsay, um, what is it? The Ozo, I think it is. Alex Lindsay sent me a text the other day saying, Hey, I just got an Ozo, whatever. And I'm like, Oh, cool. 360 degree camera. Can I check it out? So I Google that thing. $60,000. Now, <laughs> here's my question to you, Frederick. How many Alex's is that? The sixty thousand. That's sixty Alex's. <laughs> you can tell. I I, I listen to the show. <laughs> yes, that is sixty oh, Alex's, and wow. it is out of reach for most mortals. Uh, yeah. I just want to say that. So that that represents the Alex end of the spectrum. The the Theta S is you know on the far left. I want to be somewhere in the middle, which I'm hoping story number two will address, which is Nikon's all seeing. 360 degree camera it's they're calling it the where is it the key mission 360 so from the specs it's it's kind of like a go it's kind of like what gopro is is built hobbling together existing technology in one little elegant waterproof rugged camera that shoots 
what is this, a 4K? It's a 4K Ultra video, which is one of my problems with the Theta S. They claim 1080, but it's 1080, you know, with two spheres in the middle of a 1080 frame. So they claim 4K, so I want to see what that looks like. This thing is waterproof to 100 feet and built to handle, like, kicking around and dust and all, and, dust and all that stuff. So it, it looks pretty interesting. We don't have pricing yet on this, but I got to imagine it's probably, looking at it, it can't be more than $5,000. Which <laughs> well, is, definitely not. Which is what GoPro has. Sharky, what do you think? Does this Is this compelling to you, the Nikon uh, Key Mission 360? It's getting there. I think, like you said, we don't know how much this thing's going to cost, but I'm thinking it's not going to be anywhere near $5,000. Worst name ever for a product. Key Mission or, 360. Or, uh, Key Mission 360. I mean, but then again, when the iPad came out, everyone you know thought that was horrible. So maybe it'll yes. grow on us. But yeah. like you said, not... We don't see a whole lot of, you know, sorry, listen, I, I've, I own more Nikon gear than I own Sony gear, and I'm a huge Sony fanboy, mm-hmm. but Nikon, as well as Canon, they don't innovate like Sony is and some of the other companies. They just don't. I mean, the 80D came out, and it wasn't really that much more impressive than the 70D on the Canon side, yeah. and then I own a, a Nikon D7200, which is a great camera, but it wasn't that much of an upgrade over the 7100. But then all of a sudden, out of the blue, this Key Mission 360 comes out, and it's like, whoa, not, I had to check. Nikon did this? Like, mm-hmm. they're finally doing something. Like I told you, they had the, the leather and the uh, stainless steel hot shoe covers there. It's like, what? what? This Key Mission 360 hand over fist. You don't do the, you don't. You don't it just made me think of like the marketing guy in there that's like, please, let me just push this through. I wrote all, I did all the financials and the projections. This could work. Just give me a chance. You know, there's one guy with a rogue team inside of Nikon fighting the suits to get this thing out. And, you know, they're like, okay, we like this if we get to name it. <laughs> We're going <laughs> to name it the Key Mission. He's like, no, we should name it the Nikon 360. No, it needs to be the Key, key Mission 360 I mean, or maybe- nothing. Maybe they named it in Japanese and then did a Google Translate on it or something, and it came out to Key Mission 360. I don't know. What do you think, Martin? I don't know. No, I, I would say that it's it probably doesn't. The name would sound the same in both in both languages. It probably would be said in the same thing. It would be probably Key Mission. You know, it wouldn't key be mission. that would, wouldn't be that different. Um, but they, but it wouldn't mean anything. It's it would it would just have to be given its meaning by all of the marketing gumph that that gets. Uh, you know, that surrounds the, the release and stuff. Yeah. But if, if a company like Ricoh, if a company like Ricoh throws their weight behind the, three, the Theta S, which is a, a kind of a point-and-shoot mm. consumer-level 360, then a giant company like Nikon, which has a pedigree, a Harvard pedigree in, you know, photography, consumer electronics, says, okay, we're going to make a pro-level camera. Does that validate the space? Is the 360 space now ripe for professionals to say, okay, now I need to start considering this as a viable product that I can offer to my consumers? I don't know. Sharky, what do you guys think? We're going to have to see. I mean, we haven't seen a whole lot out of this yet, right? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, you see the the Nikon ambassadors using it and such, but until we actually use it, I mean, like, you know, the, the DJ i osmo which you have and stuff and a lot of other products you know that you see the marketing videos and everything and these are the best of the best in the world that are shooting these and then you get it it's like those memes you see on the internet you know it's like how i think i look when i run versus how i actually look when i run that kind of thing so we'll see like once we actually get these is it going to be horrible are we going to regret however much money we spent on the key mission 360 you know it's it's great though for you know it's ball shape so i guess you could 
have some fun throwing it when you get frustrated. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. who knows? We just, uh, you just don't know yet. These things are all emerging. I like that Nikon is doing something out of the box here. They've got a great camera coming, the D500. That's, I think, a really compelling camera. So they're starting to do some things, you know, mirrorless and everything, too, they need to get in on. But that's a whole other topic for another day. I don't know. I mean, I mean, this is this is a good panel to be talking about this. Martin, does this like you're a working pro, you lead workshops, you don't have a whole lot of time to be experimenting with new things and, you know, testing things on the field, in the field and all that. When you see something like the key, the key mission 360 or any of these other cameras, like last week, we we're talking about, you know, like we said, Lytro and they're moving into this space and all that. Is it is it time for you to start making this leap or conversely, you as someone like I see the giant printer behind you are you a purist and you're like, you know what? Two dimensions in this X, Y. That's all I care about. You know, what, what do you think? You know, I think that there's still a lot of that. Um, and I think that that's what's, that's what's going to happen with a lot of photographers is that people will think it's a cool technology. They'll want to give it a try. Um, but I, I think it's something else. I don't, think, I don't think it's the sort of thing that a photographer per se is going to just want to jump into and start to add to their toolbox. Um, the, the reason, I mean, the first thing I think about this is, is not how I can make art with it. It's how I can use it perhaps to make a marketing video to sell more tour seats. Yeah. You know, I, I think of it as a tool to do something else, not so much what I, what I, you know, to augment what I'm currently doing or even instead of what I'm currently doing. Um, so all of the tools that we have and all, all of these video things, like I say, I bought GoPros and I, I shot a whole season of, of uh, videos I did two Japan winter tours, I did Namibia, and I did a whole bunch of stuff with the GoPro. And all of the footage is still sitting on my hard drive. I've never released any of it because it's, it's not what I do. It's not important to me. Um, but I think that there are people that it's going to be important to, if you need to create a 360 degree, I think that a lot of it, I mean, we, we do need to make the distinction of 360 degree video or photography and VR. But I right. think that I think that it's one's a means to a, to another. You know, in some ways, if if you're going to create something in VR, you need to be able to shoot that footage. And so, so th these tools are going to be put out there. And the, as the demand for VR or or for 360 degree footage increases, people are going to jump into that space and say, okay, now what do I need to buy? Or they're they're going to do it as a as a pet project initially, and create something cool and attract a customer that's going to help them to jump into the space that were a lot deeper. So I, I think that there, there are people that are going to use it. And I think that, there, you know, there's some cool, there's going to be some cool footage coming out. There's already got to be uh, people that are starting to work the, what we've got on the market at the moment. Um, but I, I think that it's, it's going to be a very specific, uh, I need to do this, this is my, what I need to do, or this is what I want to do the dream or the, you know, the idea comes first and then someone selects the technology. And right. I think that, you know, like Sharky says, it's great that Nikon have finally sort of in, in a different way started to innovate something. It's not new, but it's, it looks like good solid technology. And I think that it's probably going to sell for them. Um, you, hit it, you hit it right on the head, man. Cause it's a, and I've been preaching this a lot lately, especially with all these new things showing up is when we, we're, we're, we have this gear lust. So when we get these new tools, a lot of the stuff that you see first on the web and otherwise is a demonstration of the technology. It's not 
it's not art that happens to be using that particular technology to tell a story or express an artistic vision. It is, hey, I got this new toy. Let me show you what it can do, and I'll make something that's completely irrelevant to anything with no story, but I'm going to show you the power of this. Sharky, what do you think? Something Martin said also brings a, a point up for me is how much processing power in a computer you need to have and how much hard drive, you know, storage space you're going to need when you're dealing with 360, mm. you know, what, what are you going to need? So just the entry point to get in on this stuff is not only going to need a $5,000 device or $500 device, if that's what this thing costs, you're going to need more hard drive space. And, you know, like Martin said, so you're going to have this footage that's going to sit on your hard drive and you're going to have a lot of it now, and then just dealing with it, and then how do you process it? There's just a whole ecosystem that has to come around these products, so you have to be all in. It's not something like a drone, like that upcoming or not Karma drone, where it's like something really cool. It's like, you know, th this thing has more limited usefulness. It's like, are you going to be shooting, you know, if you got a, a lens baby for your camera, you wouldn't shoot all your portraits with that. At least I hope not, right? right. So right. you've got this Key Mission 360. You're going to use it a little bit, but heaven forbid you're not going to shoot everything with it. So if you're not shooting a lot with it, does it justify spending $500 or $5,000 for these things? What are you going to do with these things? Yeah. And so the amount of people that are actually going to be using them is a lot less. I think these are going to be more the higher-end pros. You're going to see this in some kind of proof of concept kind of thing virtual tours, all of that. This is, this is always the way it is, though. I mean, it's the way, right? So it's called technology. Something new shows up, and then it's overpriced, and there's all the early adopters, and they you know, do whatever they're going to do with it. And then the price drops down into the mainstream, and then we start getting mainstream adoption. It happened with mirrorless cameras. It happened with printers it happened everything you know is this is the same exact way and we're all old enough to have seen the, the the patterns and the chaos over time as new technologies get introduced and then they trickle their way down into the masses but i'm wondering is this like shargi like you were saying we've seen this promise of 360 degree video and vr you know as separate entities for what two decades now right so is it now finally time for these technologies to come and hit because we have smartphones and all these different ways to consume the content? Is that, was that the linchpin for making these technologies viable or is it another non-starter? I don't know. You know, I, look at, okay, look, I hate to even bring up this point. <laughs> We're going down the rabbit hole here, but look at the home video market in the 80s. Yeah. What, what did that, what kicked off? What industry kicked off the home video market? Pornography. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I hate to say, go look and see what the adult business is doing. That's not a commandment, everybody, to go do that. But, you know, they're going to adopt it first. And, right? I mean, yeah, I don't yeah, know. You're right. You're, yeah, you're right. 360 degree. <laughs> we don't even want to go there. Oh, geez. Waterproof VR helmets. But there are markets for these things, I guess. Uh, yeah. But, you know, hey, whatever. I mean, consumers are consumers. Depending on whatever they want, that's what they want. And they're going to pay money. In the end, it's... It's a, it's a potential customer or a lead converting into a potential customer converting into a customer and, and the transaction that happens in there. Who cares what they're buying, if it's porn, if it's whatever. I mean, it's the, the market is the market. And if, if the, the porn market is what's going to drive this into mainstream adoption, then it drives it into mainstream adoption. My, my question is, is it 
is it at that level where people will care? I mean, is, or is it going to go the route of the Segway and Google Glass and all these other promising, amazing technologies that seemed like they should have taken off but didn't? You know, so I'm, is, I'm do we right, care about 360? I'm saying right here, right now. I like you said, there, there's video game aspects. There's you know accessibility for those who have you know visual problems or whatever. There's going to be ways you know. Uh, there's going to be industries that will adopt this, but widespread, I don't think it's going to happen. Who's going to be having a headset on them all day to see this? Yeah, right. It's or going to take just... something like Martin. It's going to take something like an exclusive to get people in. Like, you know, I know Martin's a huge Kanye West fan, so it's going to take it's going to take Kanye West releasing his next video or the next three Star Wars movies being shot exclusively in 360 video. And the only way you can see them are in theaters that are equipped with 360 VR or video headsets or something, right? Yeah. So it'll take a kickstart like that or a shot in the arm. Sorry, Martin, for outing you on your Kanye, Kanye lust. <laughs> You're more of a Taylor Swift fan. Taylor Swift or you know Justin Bieber, I know, something like that. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, after the break, we're going to talk about some scientists in Washington that have teamed up with Microsoft to develop a way to store images in DNA. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. You can try FreshBooks for free. Just head over to freshbooks.com twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up. And as I've said on This Week in Photo before, we use FreshBooks as the back end to basically run most of the stuff behind the scenes on this business to keep the lights on and to keep everybody happy. Because as we all know, as creative professionals, we're not necessarily focused on capturing our income, expenses, and tracking billable time and all that. And I think the reason that we don't capture all of those things is simple. It's boring. We're creatives. We like fun stuff. We like Photoshop and Lightroom and you know, all these other cool things that let us express that side of our brain. And thankfully, FreshBook offers us as small business owners a way to quickly and easily keep track of our time and money without disrupting our workflow or, you know, sort of messing with our creative juices. With FreshBooks, you can invoice clients. It's easy. You can do it in seconds and expenses can be automatically imported so that you don't have to lift a finger. You're just doing the stuff on the back end while you do other cool stuff. You can even track billable time as easy as starting a timer on your on your mobile phone. You can whip up business reports. You can stay on top of your income, expenses, and tax time is coming up. So with a couple of clicks, you can generate reports for your CPA or your accountant so that you're staying out of trouble. So grab some popcorn, learn how to fresh books by watching some of their free getting started webinars. I'm a big fan of webinars and they've got some excellent ones online for you to check out. Once again, if you want to check FreshBooks out, you can just head over to freshbooks.com slash twip, enter the code this week in photo or twip in the how did you hear about us section to start your free 30-day trial. All you need is an email address to uh, to try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go over to freshbooks.com slash twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section. And we want to thank FreshBooks for their support of this week in photo. All right, guys, we are back. We're going to talk about some scientists that are using DNA to store photographs. So 
Scientists in Washington have teamed up with Microsoft to develop a method for storing, wait for it, 10 terabytes of data in a tiny smear of DNA. So they're using a technology or a process called Huffman coding, which is fairly normal. It's a normal lossless data compression algorithm, but they're able to, what they did was researchers in Washington or the University of Washington have figured out how to take digital files and convert them into strings of DNA that then they can easily read back. So tying this into our first two stories about, you know, VR and 360 video and, you know, all this other stuff that's coming out, Sharky, you mentioned, how do you store all this stuff? Is this how you store all this stuff? You store it on a cell? Like what? What's... This just shows you my thinking here. I just imagine the guys over at Crash Plan all spitting in a jar and storing everyone's <laughs> files on that. So it's like, you know, you've got your daily backup, and some guy over at Crash Plan is spitting, or whoever you have as a sponsor here, you know, yeah. spits in a jar or something. I mean, like, what, how does this materialize? What? How? How is this actually going to be a thing? I I don't know. I mean, sometimes, you know, these stories are because people figured something out because they could. <laughs> There's not, not a necessary applicable or, or even realistic process. But they're saying in the story says they can go much further. They can store video, audio or any kind of digital file. They released a press release that says it could be possible to shrink the space needed to store digital data today that would fill a Walmart super center down to the size of a sugar cube. Martin, I mean, it seems fantastic, but I remember when I was growing up, my dad, you know, had had this IBM PC with a smart card in it. It had like a 10, 10 gigabyte drive that you put in your computer. And he, was, he used to brag to me saying, yeah, see that thing? I could store the entire library of Congress on that drive, <laughs> which it could. But now yeah. we can do it, you know, on our cell phones. Yeah. I don't know. What do, you, what do you think? Is this viable technology? You know, I I think that that's that last uh, statement, that last paragraph that you read out there. That's that's got it. I mean, it, it's not necessarily going to be. Maybe they are thinking, okay, we can develop a way that if you run out of memory, you can just stick your finger in a port on the computer and store it in your arm. Maybe mm. that's part of it. But I think that the other thing is, is that if they can get in enough, if they can shrink down storage space, if this, because I mean, at the moment we're, we, we try to store everything in ones and zeros and that's why the file size is, is large and that's why we, we have to have big storage systems. If they really can come up with a very, very, a huge storage system that's really small, then that, you know, if, if that's what it leads to, not necessarily the DNA thing, but using the algorithms to figure out how to totally change how we store data that could be big i mean the, yeah. then you could we could all we could all have like a i don't know a 4 a 4 terabyte chip in our in our camera i mean the the ones that we use now the cf cards or even the little sdx xc cards things these things are getting tiny anyway and they, the yeah. the amount that you can store on them is getting bigger each year we we could if these things are so small we could store everything that all of our photos, videos, and everything on a tiny little drive uh, make backups really easy. You know, it, it's if that if it comes to shrinking things down and getting more data onto smaller devices, then that's probably the biggest benefit that I can see here. That's a scary. That's a scary future. Sharky, is that a future you want to live in, where uh, you know you could get a tattoo, and it with that tattoo comes all like you know twenty five terabytes of data. <laughs> 
Not so much, but you know what? To bring things back around, you can store all your data in monkey poo. Oh, God. yeah. Because it turns <laughs> there out there's go. DNA in there as well, right? It was about to happen. <laughs> I don't that. know. I, I don't know how this thing actually materializes someday, but who, they, you know, smarter guys than us are thinking about it, I guess. I don't know. I mean, if it does materialize, it could be the, the, the missing link, you know, to continue the monkey references. It could be the missing <laughs> link. <laughs> that was a good one. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, to all this data that we're going to be creating. Because if we're creating these, these 360 degree immersive video sequences, they're going to take a lot of data. Like the, the mm. story that we talked about last week was Lytro. They have one of these devices out that, or a camera out that comes with its own server. <laughs> so R2D2 you referred yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. It comes with R2D2 or, or, you know, or some droid that it plugs into to handle the offloading and the processing power needed to, to crunch all this data. If that could be miniaturized using this kind of technology and boom, you could have R2D2 on a little thing that is in, you know, in your phone or something. And all you need is a drop of blood or something to store everything on. It could be interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I'm reaching. We're, we'll never see this, by the way. So these are <laughs> these are your great grandkids. They're going to be like, wow, they actually stored things on, on SD cards. Wow. Yeah, that's going to be it. That's what I think it is. It's, it's all about shrinking stuff down and, yeah. You know. All I got to say is the singularity is near, gentlemen. <laughs> Just beware. Sentience in computers is on the way, and Skynet will be online in 2018. So. That, that's the scariest thing. I mean, these things could be happening. You know, there, there's all talk of, of defense, defense programs built on artificial intelligence. I mean, that's like, oh. okay, let's, let's make a movie about the really bad things that could happen to the human race, and then let's see how we can make it really happen. Yeah. Is that, I, what? Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's a huge digression, but... It, I mean, you know, you think about it. So when you talk about drones on the show, and you've seen those videos on YouTube of, you know, these swarms of programmed, synchronized drones that are flying within inches of each other, and then you take that technology and overlay it on all this sentience that's, mm. <laughs> that's coming. It's crazy. It, you know, it, it's crazy. It is, it is very crazy. So, but it's exciting, you know? So, and, and what's to worry about? You know, man has never taken awesome technology and used it for ill means, right? Never. <laughs> never. We always do awesome things like build windmills and stuff like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we do. That's what we do. All right, guys, let's jump into the Picks of the Week segment. Remember, your pick can be anything as long as it is related somehow to photography. Sharky James... You're the new the kid on the block, new kid on the block. What's your pick of the week? All right. Aside from the Petapixel Photography Podcast at petapixel.com slash podcast. Yeah, you know, there you go. We're going to for that, by the way. Yeah. There was a story that we uh, just did on the podcast this last episode of a photographer on Tenerife, which is in the Canary Islands off the western coast of, uh, of Africa. It's a, it's a Spanish, you know, held, uh, what do you call it, property, um, territory. Yeah. And... He was trusted with the Canon 1DX Mark II, a pre-release version, and his car was broken into. $34,000 worth of gear was stolen. What he did was back his car up so his tailgate couldn't be opened, backed it up to a, a concrete bench. And that, to me, that just screams something important is in this car. Oh, hey, there's windows. Let's break it out. 20 seconds, they're in, they're out. Right. So what I did as a, I'm a, a retired photojournalist, and 
when I would have to keep gear in my car that I didn't bring physically with me and I wanted it to be safe, you know, of course you want to, you don't want to draw any attention to your car. And a lot of photographers out there have vinyl on their car and say, Hey, I'm a photographer. That means, you know, maybe I got some expensive stuff in there. So what I did is I used a product from uh, PackSafe and they used to, I've got the older version. I'm going to show you here in a second. If you're watching on, on YouTube or on the site and it's an exo mesh, uh, exo mesh that goes around your, uh, your gear bag. And the one that I have is the older version. They have a newer version. It's called the PackSafe C25L, and there's different sizes, C35L. It's, you know, 25 liters, 35 liters, et cetera. And it's an overseas company. And so it's an anti-theft camera bag protector, and it goes around your gear. If someone breaks into your car, they're not expecting your gear. Well, first, if they find your gear and they break into the car, it's gone. So if you have an exo mesh mesh around it and you've got that locked down to the metal on your car, if they didn't bring tools with them and they're not going to go break in your car and then come back to the scene of the crime and then break in, hopefully there's people around, this will help protect your gear. The newer version, the older version I have, the mesh was a little bit wider. They have a newer version, so you can't just reach your hand in there and pull out, you know, camera lenses and such. So I've got the older version. They have a newer version. It goes from like 50 to like 100 or so dollars. I think anything you can do to protect your gear if your car is broken into is great. Insurance is always a great idea, five, $600 a year. If you're like this guy, he lost $34,000 worth of gear and he's a professional. And Canon's 1DX Mark II that they entrusted with him, a pre-release version. Uh. That's out there now. So you gotta, you gotta protect your gear and this will definitely help. Uh, that that thing looks cool. I wonder if it's TSA approved though. I mean, does it, I guess you could put, <clears throat> you could put a lock on there that is. Yeah. It's it comes it comes with a lock. I've, you know, if you can hear the velcro and stuff here, it comes with a lock. Uh it's this giant mesh thing. Oh, look at and that. And there's yeah, it's a it's a whole mesh kind of deal and I don't see the TSA logo on here, but you can it's, you know, you put it around your gear and you know, it expands. Like I said, this is the older version. And then you've got these loops on the end. So you just loop it together and you close it. And then you just put a standard, whatever lock of, you know, they included I a lock, but you could thing. put any kind of lock that you want. So this is, you know, you, someone breaks into your car, they're off with your gear. At least now you've, the thief is like, well, okay, I don't know what to do with that. And I'm not coming back. I'm out of here. I'm thinking if you got one of those, that would be ideal for leaving your gear in the hotel room. In, in parts unknown, you know, you travel someplace and you're like, okay, I'm only going to take these three lenses or these this lens and this body with me. You leave the rest of your stuff in the room. This would be awesome because typically it won't fit in the safe, right? Yeah, but don't loop it like a lot of people do. Loop it around a chair leg or a, uh, a table leg that can just be lifted and there you go. You have to, <laughs> you know, so if there's, you know, it has to be something metal, some kind of loop or something that you can attach it to so if you have a car like in i did it in my i had a, a mustang and so you know it was a rag top too so that wasn't exactly safe but in the trunk mm. you know there were metal parts of the of the trunk and the assembly in there and i would loop it through one side and down to the other and if anyone got in there they wouldn't you know they'd be i don't know what to do with this yeah so you got to protect your gear and insurance insurance is a good thing especially if you're professional you have to build it into your your cost of doing business otherwise could you afford to lose $10,000 worth of gear and still be in business and feed your family? If the answer is no. Yeah, I would this, say this for most people. This is a cheap $100 solution. I was going to ask you, less. so it was 100 bucks? That's what that's the price? Yeah, it was like 69 or something. Right? Yeah, there's the the uh it depends on which size you get. Like I said, they're measured in liters, 25L, 35L. I got the biggest one I think that they made cuz I had a lot of gear. 
it had to fit everything. And so it's, you know, this thing is ginormous. I think I got the, uh, the 120 or the 140 L. That's like, <laughs> that's like awesome peace of mind because if you go through all those gyrations to protect your gear and someone steals it, then you can kind of say, you know what? <laughs> I did, I did everything I could do to stop these people from getting my gear and they still got it. So maybe they were meant to have it. You yeah. Know? At that point you've done everything you could do, but that, that is, uh, I like that. Cool. That's your that's your first pick of the week on the show, man. How do you feel? I'm awesome. Like you know, back I think it was episode 430 or something. You made me and the podcast your pick of the week. So yes, I like, did. Yeah. There was nothing else available that week, I guess, and you picked that. So I, I appreciate it. That <laughs> it was, was awesome. a slow week, you know. Yeah, it was yeah. it was either that or a Snicker bar, you know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they have words on them now and sayings. Ooh. They do. I know. All right, guys. Uh, that's perfect. Thanks, man, for that. No problem. Um, Martin Bailey, what is your pick of the week? You know, I yesterday I, I released a review of a new wide gamut monitor display uh, from BenQ. It's the SW. Oh, there's me. You've just got me up on the screen there. Um, so the it's uh, the the monitor itself is um, it's say they say it's got 99% Adobe RGB, so wide gamut. Um, my tests actually showed that it had wider than that. Um, so they're they're undercutting themselves on their on their website, but um, yeah, the the BenQ it's an SW2700PT 27 inch wide gamut display, and honestly, until now, I've never thought of BenQ as being a quality display um, manufacturer. We used to buy them when in my previous life, in my old day job, we um, we used to buy BenQ monitors for the, for our engineers because it was the cheapest thing that we could buy and and still be able to see something on the screen. Um, so I, I always thought of them as a real budget display, but they've entered the, the you know, you could almost say professional photography market or the, you know, the definitely high-end wide gamut display market with this new offering. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at it right now. They, they sent me one to test. Um, and it's, it really is a very, very powerful um, piece of, well, I was going to say glass. It's not glass, but you know, matte screen. It's got uh, it's got almost it's got the ninety nine percent Adobe RGB gamut. It works really well. Um, there's a few quirks, but the thing the thing is, it's like six hundred and thirty dollars or something. Oh, nice. Um, and compa- comparative displays with similar specs are all two to three, sometimes depending on the maker, four times more expensive. So I. Um, I, you know, I, I've just fallen in love with this this, this display. So, I like I say, this, I, it's the one on your right there, right? So, what's the, what's one the, the size right. of it? Is it it's twenty-seven inch. So, I've okay. got it sitting next to my iMac screen. They're both twenty-seven inch, both the same resolution. Um, but it, it's really nice. It's like, like I say, it's got a matte finish. It's, it's not the glossy. Um, for my iMac, I waited until the thirty percent less um, reflective screen to come out before I bought an iMac and even that it's still it's still quite uh, quite glossy um, and I get some nasty reflections in this room sometimes um, but you know with with this don't get any reflections it comes with a hood the uh, it's got the shading hood on there they're usually one to two hundred dollars extra optional things accessories it's in the price you know so three hundred I think it's three hundred and sixty three hundred something dollars three hundred and thirty um, and you can uh, you, you can get a hell of a lot of, of display for very little money, really. Um, I, I think it's underpriced for what it is. Then, like I say, there are there are some areas where you have to mess around with it a little bit. 
Um, you need your own colorimeter if you're going to do hardware calibration, but you can do hardware calibration. That's something else that you don't see on this class of or this price of display. So, And, you know, we, we do have to do a full episode on color. We touched on it a, a couple of weeks ago talking about, I think it was called the fallacy of color or chasing color. It was called chasing color, the episode chasing color. And what I was bringing up was how, if not impossible, it is to get accurate color. And so I want to have you come on and, and discuss how you can get close <laughs> to, mm. to accurate color. And I think accurate color is going to be subjective. Like your accurate color is going to be different than my accurate color, right? So uh, Yeah, you know. I mean, it all depends. I mean, you can, you can definitely calibrate and get close, but we all see color differently anyway. Um, yeah. You know, the, I, I wrote a, a photograph, Craft and Vision photography magazine called The Myth of, I think it was The Myth. Oh, no, that was something else. I was talking about basically um, color calibration. It's it's for you. It's basically, I mean, the the reason that we calibrate our displays, you're the person that benefits the most because it puts you in a position to be able to adjust and edit and you know push the pixels around and and adjust those sliders in a in an environment where you can see exactly what you're doing. Um, and I've for the first time with this Adobe RGB wide gamut display. I found that I was pushing some of my images too far. It was a while back, um, but I was I was moving my sliders around and changing them in a in such a small color space that I couldn't see what I was doing. And now that I could see it, I was thinking, "Oh, <laughs> look what I did there! That was a bit of a mess." Um, and so I I think that it's that there's a big difference. You know, standardizing is not so much um, for everyone else. If you if you get your if you know that your display is calibrated. Then other people that have got calibrated displays are, are going to be at least partway there. Um, the brightness of the display is different, and everything, but you know it, it's quite a complex thing. We we like you say we could do a whole show on it. It is. It's very complex, and it's and and I think the as I recall the context of that show was Apple's updating of iOS to to add that that technology or that feature in there where the display goes warmer at night. Mm. And then goes back to normal in the morning. And my argument was, okay, well, <laughs> all, that, all that work that you did to get your photos looking exactly right are it's out the window because now they're warm. You hey, know th that sunset is really going to pop now. Exactly. And you always use like, more warmth, right? Exactly. So, but that that begged the question: just how how you know how slippery of a pig it is to be chasing color because you're never going to grab it because everyone has different rods and cones and mm. you can never be sure especially with prints right you can never be sure where your final print is going to be viewed is it going to be a room with daylight is it going to be a room with tungsten is it going to be a room with no light you know you never know where it's going to be viewed so trying to get precisely accurate color is somewhat of a fallacy but martin to your point you're you can only correct to one standard and that's you so once you say okay this is what i determine as perfect and everything i put out is going to be to this standard then that's your perfect and everybody else can you know yeah, deal with it to a degree but i mean if you're using the if you're using the correct tools that are you know the 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 x-right tools that i use um they are using the standard and and i i make certain settings i make sure that i i select settings for the brightness of my environment but I actually don't adjust the color in my profiles. You can do that for printing. If I was going to do a show, I could go to the gallery, take a reading of the of the light levels and the color of the light in the gallery, 
and print for that gallery. But I never, I never print for a, a specific light because, I, you know, I, I don't exactly like you're saying. I don't know where my prints are going to go, but right. that that doesn't mean that there isn't value in calibrating and making your no, your no, color no, no. I accurate. Think there is. Yeah, I think there is. But but even in the example of that gallery, you know, you're if you go into that gallery and you measure the light levels and you know exactly what's perfect for every print that you're going to hang in that gallery. Presumably, you're you're hanging things in a gallery to sell them. Exactly. And someone goes in and they say, right. "Oh, that that snow monkey shot will look good in my living room." They buy that snow monkey shot, they hang it in their living room, and now and, and that's now like what? monkey poo. And, and that's and that's <laughs> exactly. why that's why you don't necessarily want to do that. It's the example yeah. was you could if you wanted just the the gallery to look great, then you could do that. When yeah. I did my last show, I I didn't do that because I exactly that. I wanted people to be able to buy those prints. Now, you you don't necessarily put hang the prints that people are going to walk away with. You know, they, you could you could create them a standard color one later, and it'd mm -hmm. still have a better a better chance of of looking good on their wall. Um, but yeah, I think that there's definitely value in standardizing. But like you know, we the the example of the the color changing on the iPads, you're not going to be doing your 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 um, image editing on a, on a computer with those settings in, in force. You know, you're going you're gonna to make sure that you go back to your standard color before you do anything. Um, yeah. But, I mean, that's a whole other show. I mean, talking yep. about color calibration on mobile devices. And yeah. is that even possible from iOS to iOS device and to Android and to Windows and all that? Can you, yeah. can you, you lock know, down you the actually, color? You actually can calibrate an um, iPhone or an iPad we're using the uh, the colorometers from X-Rite, but to actually use the profile that you create, you have to show your um, your images inside the X-Rite software. So you, yes, you can do it. It's it's doable, but it's not system wide, so it doesn't really mean much. Yeah. So Let's just forget all this and it. go to the bar or something. <laughs> this is too much. I, I, this is too much math. math. You, know, yeah, you, you guys are getting dangerously close to math, and just, no one likes. That. Just buy Martin's book. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's a good point, Martin. Your, you have a book on Craft and Vision. What's the name of your book on color? I, I've got three on there, but the the one that I go into a little bit about color management is making the print. Making the print, making the print, and you did a workshop series on that a while back as well, right? Yeah. Well, my pixels to pigment workshop is based. At, that's a, a complete color managed workflow. So from from capture right through to print. Um, Are there beers involved in that whole process? There, when we do Not it, Tylenol. When we do the workshop in person, there are often beers on the Sunday night. Um, you, you know, go. I do it's a, I do a weekend workshop. It often en ends in beer. Oh, look at that. All I right. think it's great that Martin's done all the heavy lifting. You know, you don't have to do any thinking here. Just follow the steps. Read the because book, follow thinking, the steps. Thinking is overrated, It's man. too much, I tell you. <laughs> all right, guys. So I have a pick of the week this week. I don't always have a pick of the week, but I have one this week. And I'm going to share my screen. Um, so my pick of the week is this thing. It's called the Duet Display. And I think we may have talked about it on the show, um, I don't know, maybe last year or so. But I've finally tried it. Mm. <laughs> and what it is, it's a piece of software that you load on your iOS device. And you load another piece of software on your Mac. And it turns your iOS device into another display. Very simple. That's all it does. And it works like a charm. And I, I tried it because I was thinking, you know, I've got this iPad Pro. And it just generally, for the most part, just sits there 
depreciating when I'm not not using it. So like, okay, how can I put this guy to work somehow? So at least I'm getting some use out of it when I'm not reading or doing stuff on it. So I tried to do wet display on it and it's sitting right next to my Mac right now. It's got, you know, some apps running, you know, or some, some, some programs from my main display are on it. And it just, the Mac just sees it as another display. You open the displays preference pane or the settings, and you you manage it just like any other display, and it works like a charm. The cool part about it is, normally I'm sitting at my desk here when I'm podcasting, and I'm just, you know I'm using my iMac, and I've got my all my stuff here. But sometimes I want to be somewhere else, you know. Like last week, I was in Mexico, so I'm like, okay, I have my MacBook Pro 13 inch, I have my iPad Pro. Now I can sit wherever I am and have two displays with this thing, and it's like. I think it was like 10 bucks. It's ridiculously cheap to turn your iOS. It could be your phone. It turns whatever device into another display that you can use. I don't know. Martin, have you seen this thing? Have you used it at all? I don't think it's this. I've used something, I think it was called Air Display. Um, yeah. It was a very similar thing a couple of but years that ago. That was Wi-Fi. That was, I remember Air Display. If I recall correctly, that was Wi-Fi and it worked. Mm. But there was this unbearable latency yeah. that that made it pretty much unusable for me, which is why I took so long to try Duet Display. So Duet Display doesn't work through Wi-Fi. It plugs in your lightning cable, you plug it into your Mac, and it uses that high-speed transfer to, you know, basically give you monitor, you know, a third monitor or second monitor instantaneous update of the display. So I just... Yeah. yeah, it works like a charm. I yeah. love it. Sharky, have you tried it though? I haven't tried it, but you know, like like you're saying, you've got this iPad Pro, which cost a bit of money, and it's been lazy. It's been just hanging around. You've put it to work now for ten dollars, yeah. a screen that you already own. Yes. You're now making use of. That's great. I have to check this out. You do have to check it out because I was skeptical. I was like, you know what? Let me try it um, because I was doing I was doing a lot of video editing, and I didn't want to be tied to my my. Usually, I do all the video editing at this Mac. You know, my iMac in my office. I'm like, you know, I want to, I want to sit downstairs, but I need a separate display. So I tried this thing and I was skeptical. I was thinking, you know, it's not going to work. It's going to be another waste of money in the app store, you know? So I tried it anyway, pulled the trigger and it worked. It just works like a charm. When you, once you get it set up, it takes, you know, a couple seconds to get it set up. Once you get it set up, when you plug in your iPad and push, you know, run the display or the duet app, your Mac sees it and it just shows up as another display. There's nothing to do other than run the app. So yeah, I would give it, you know, if we were doing ratings on this, like all about the gear, I would give it two thumbs up because it's uh, I think it was, it was well worth the purchase. In fact, I think, I think this type of code or this technology should be included in iOS devices so that when you, you know, like Apple should just do this so that you can use your device as a as an external display if necessary when you're not using it for something else. It just makes that much sense. To yeah, do it, it makes the device you have already even more valuable. Yeah. They can yeah. build it in. Yeah, it's, yeah. Buy Apple, buy Duet. <laughs> just, just do it. <laughs> just take them over and buy them. So anyway, that's, that is my pick of the week. And guys, we're at the end of the show. The first episode that a emissary from Petapixel has infiltrated this week in photos. <laughs> so, well, we're once in again, every episode anyhow. So. You are, you are, you're pretty much in every episode. You're like a, you know, a virus. So it's awesome. Right. 
It's a good virus, though. It's a really good. Thanks for that virus reference. <laughs> what, what did I ever do to you, man? Come on. I would, I okay, to make up for that, I would uh, suggest to the TWIP army, go over to Petapixel, check them out. So tell us about Petapixel, Sharky. What's, what's, what's so cool about Petapixel? So Petapixel is essentially the world's largest photography news website, right? So um, you want to know about new product announcements, uh, cool things, stupid things that people do with their photography, uh, legal matters, everything photography. You want to head on over to petapixel.com. And so, you know, people ask about the name. You know, there's Megabyte, there's Gigabyte, and then there's Petabyte, right? Ectabyte. We're well, never terabyte in there somewhere, right? Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Terabyte. See, th- I don't know. There's a lot of bytes. Everyone's biting at it. So, um, there's we're never going to see petabyte. So, petabyte is a lot of bytes, and uh, it's p e t a p p e t a p i x e l dot com, and you'll see the little podcast logo, or you can go to petapixel.com slash podcast and and check us out. We were actually the first photography podcast allowed into Spotify. Oh, look! How at do that. we get in there before Twip? I don't know. I don't know. Because the guy that runs TWIP is falling down on the job. That's no, 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 no. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of great things have happened in the in just the six months or so that I've been with with Petapixel. It's and you know, look, I'm on TWIP now. Yeah. No, oh, it's, it's fantastic. I had fun. Yeah, this will be the first of many. Uh, I think it's fantastic. And I think the Petapixel and this week in photo are complementary in many ways because like you said, you guys talk about news or like you break news in in, in some some instances and we fix you know, it sometimes as well. And you create news. Yeah, you create controversy, you know. So you guys are on that that tangent and Twip is more of a punditry type show where we take things that are that have been released. We're not interested and breaking news for the most part you know when when we get embargoed press releases we don't want to talk about the press release on the day that it's announced we want (laughs) we will let petapixel talk about it and then we'll talk about it after that because we want to like form opinions based on groupthink you know so i think it works it's a good synergistic kind of relationship and what we do on the podcast if i can just say really quick is so you know um so i get the news i i had uh my own uh, podcast before and then Petapixel said, hey, why don't you come over and do it with us? I was bringing a lot of stories to them. You know, I was like you. I was, you know, getting stories from Petapixel and I wanted to give back. So I gave them a lot of stories. Yeah. And they said, let's just team up. You know, your peanuts and my, ch- and my uh, your peanut butter is my chocolate, your chocolates and my peanut butter. Let's, you know, a lot of old people are going to get that reference. <laughs> so let's just team up. So, you know, you've heard me here on the, on the show. I talk about a lot of things. I don't pull any punches. Sorry, yep. GoPro, Nikon, everyone else. And uh, I just call it like I see it. And it's not in a mean way. It's a very, uh, the, the show is very quick. It's about 22, 25 minutes twice a week. And it's, I think, funny, hopefully, and irreverent a lot of times. But it's not mean. It's all in good fun. If you want to yeah. learn about photography news and have a good time, Petapixel Photography Podcast. There in addition go. to TWIP, there's plenty of time for all of us. There's, there's, there's more, than a must, uh, more than enough petabytes on your phone to, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> to hold all of the home. data. <laughs> yeah, pretty soon. Hey, the DNA-driven iPhone will have petabytes of data storage. <laughs> so, all right, man. Well, uh, so Sharky, so the Petapixel Photography Podcast, you said you have a couple books coming out, too. Yeah, What's going I, on with that? I started them about a year ago, and then this thing blew up, so I, that's been put on the shelf. But I have a, a couple of photography books in the works, self-publishing, e-books and that sort of thing, Kindle yeah. and all that. And so it's, you know, just... Uh, my take on photography and the how to's and that sort of thing, from, but from my perspective, you know, no one else can be me, right? So it's going to be a fun book. It'll be a little bit of comedy, a little bit of learning, and I love it. You are you are going to be the Gary Vaynerchuk of photography. Awesome. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Good. Hear that, Gary V. 
Gary V, look out, man. There's a new there's a new kid in town. Well, cool, man. Well, welcome, welcome to this week of photo. It's good to have you on. Thank Hopefully, you. this will be the first of many um instances that you will agree to come on to our show. Dream come true. Hey, I'll be on every episode if you want me. Hey, there you go. I'm gonna turn <laughs> it over gonna to happen. you. <laughs> turn it over to you. All right. Also, Martin Bailey, what about you, man? What's coming up for you? Um, I I'm actually I'm just fin- finalizing a web page to um to release and start taking bookings for a Namibia tour next year. I, you know, I've got my other tours, my Greenland and Iceland and my Japan winter tours, and they're all still running. Um, but as I as I build out the uh, the you know the pages, you know the the tours, everything, it's it's something that's close to my heart. I've been twice with a good friend of mine, uh, Jeremy Woodhouse, and he's sort of given me the blessing to. He doesn't want to go back next year. But I do, so he's given me the blessing to go run one on my own. I'm about to start taking bookings, uh, hopefully this week. Um, the pricing's not on. I see that uh, Frederick's looking at the page right now. The pricing's not there yet, but it will be by the time this goes live uh, at this weekend, this coming weekend. So people will be able to book if you go to mbp.ac/namibia and uh, take a look at uh, take a look at that. Very the, cool. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, you know, I mean, seeing as um, as Sharky's been plugging his uh, his podcast, you know, I, I do podcast myself. I've been doing it longer than both of you. Um, longer than Twip, man. You're yeah. you're like you're like the Morgan Freeman of podcasting. <laughs> so <laughs> I like that. I like that. You know that that's actually pretty pretty accurate. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, steady. Do one one every week. I actually managed to podcast all through my tour season over the winter as well because I was just going crazy at it at the week at home between each tour and pre-recorded two extra episodes so pretty much every week um and then the other bit of exciting news and it's totally unphotography related is i'm going to see eric clapton tonight i'm going to go and watch the uh, the legend live live here in tokyo jealous Uh, yeah layla layla can't wait for this been looking forward to it for a few months now so very cool all right well let's drag out the show a little bit longer so martin is late to the show (laughs) (laughs) it wouldn't happen i would be just okay see you you're like, oh, gotta go, gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, all right, I have a couple of projects coming up. So speaking at the Out of Chicago conference in June, we'll link to that in the notes for this episode. Also, I'm speaking um, at the Out of New York conference in October. And at the, uh, I think at the June out of Chicago, we're going to be debuting, actually coming up in a couple of weeks before that, we're going to be debuting a new product for the TWIP school that has just opened that's going to be exclusive with the five-day deal. So keep an eye out for that. Um, all kinds of stuff is happening. I'm excited. I just got back from Mexico climbing Mayan ruins and flying drones and getting kicked out of... Uh, <laughs> Of, of tourist areas. Apparently, they don't like you flying drones over Mayan pyramids. So, wow. yeah, I got uh, I got exercised from an area <laughs> that uh, that didn't like that. But you know, I respectfully landed the drone and made my way. But I did have the footage, so that's, that'll be posted <laughs> online. So there's that. <laughs> there's that. I'm like, oh, you mean what? I don't speak English. I don't, I don't speak. I don't speak Spanish. How do what? Okay, hey, I'll bring it back. If Trey Ratcliffe can do it over the forbidden city in China you can do it over i don't want to spend the night in a mexican jail unlike trey reckless that is uh that's not on my agenda so (laughs) yeah so lots of lots of cool stuff coming i'm excited uh for the stuff that's happening with the twip school for being involved with that five-day deal that's coming up 
and uh, also the Out of Chicago conference that we've been mentioning on the show. Really excited for that. Going to be doing some uh, some really cool things with them at Out of Chicago and Out of New York. Well, look at you, Frederick. Hey, man. everywhere, world traveler, <laughs> omnipresent. I'm stuck in Boise, Idaho. Hey, you got potatoes though. That's right. right. Hey, <laughs> carbs have, are my enemy, my friend. You have the freshest potatoes that anyone in the United States or otherwise can claim, right? That's right. So, French fries. <laughs> Spoons. Sorry, America. Spoons. Spoons. Weight loss brought to you by the state of Idaho. Love it. Weight gain, I should say. Uh, we should build a wall. All right. <laughs> You had to go there again. (laughs) Every episode, I got to get a little zinger in there. All right, guys, we're at the end of another episode of TWIP. I want to thank FreshBooks for their support of the show. Also, be sure to visit our website over at thisweekinphoto.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to comment, like, and subscribe. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. Photo is a PixelCore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.